Gordon Stewart, and this is episode 12 of Tales from Weird Scotland. The stories told in Tales from Weird Scotland relate to the supernatural and may detail dark and distressing events from Scotland's past. For this reason, the podcasts are not recommended for listeners who may find such content upsetting. Perhaps Edinburgh was in a strange mood in the first week of June 1979. Scattered groups of tourists excitedly wandered up and down the towering historic Royal Mile looking into the small number of tartan gift shops hidden among the grocers, fishmongers, jewellers and bakeries. Workers from the breweries and factories nearby gathered in the Spider's Web pub, then crammed into the hot, sweaty underground cavern nightclub downstairs listening and dancing to Blondie's Sunday Girl, the number one song that week, and Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, which had peaked a couple of months before. And YMCA was Saturday shoppers thronged Princess Street, crowding into Rankin's The Greengrocers and Crawford's Bakery. The tills at Goldberg's department store were ringing quick and fast, with much sipping of tea at the rooftop cafe. Gangs of children mobbed the John Minges store for the latest LPs, magazines and Star Wars action figures. Groups of teenagers lounged in the green and orange plastic bucket chairs at the St James shopping (laughs) centre. the Odeon Theatre, The Who were playing live, despite losing their drummer Keith Moon the year before. At the Cali, Salon and Astoria cinemas, queues waited in the mild evening air. People excitedly talking about the eagerly anticipated Apocalypse Now, due later that year. The conversation flowed as quickly as the pints of tenants and skull. Talk was light-hearted, boisterous, serious. The failure of the Scottish Assembly plan. The 11th murder of a woman in Yorkshire, another terrible victim of Peter Sutcliffe. The threat of nuclear war as the Soviets and Americans met to discuss a halt to the arms race. Strikes, rising living costs, Farrah Fawcett's hair. There was a lot to think about in 1979. Different days, indeed. It was to this Edinburgh that one man had arrived. Bill Gibbons, recently medically discharged from the army. Bill had arranged to stay with his friend Dougie in a rented basement flat in Regent Terrace. The flat 
once the servants' quarters of the Georgian block above, was shared by Dougie and two others. It would be a bit cramped for four, but Bill was happy with this arrangement. Built between 1826 and 1833, and designed by the acclaimed architect William Playfair, Regent Terrace is an elegant street, with a curved terrace of buildings to three or four storeys on one side, and downward-sloping private gardens on the other, overlooking the stark silhouette of Arthur's Seat and the rooftops of the Cannon Gate. One of the finest neoclassical crescents anywhere, the houses were the fine homes of the great and the good, including the aristocracy, academics, artists and politicians of the day. Nowadays, they command the highest average house prices of any street in Scotland, at well over one and three quarter million pounds, and include, at one end, the Consulate of the United States. During their exile, following revolution, some members of the former royal family of France lived in number 22, including Marie-Thérèse, Madame Royale, the oldest surviving daughter of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. The following century, Charles de Gaulle opened the Free French House at number 28 in 1942. Over time, many have been subdivided into flats, but some are still complete townhouses with a wealth of decorative features inside. Many of the basement apartments, optimistically labelled garden flats, were the first for conversion, as the families in the big houses above lost their retinues of servants over the decades. Bill arrived at the flat he was to share, and on entering, at once noticed how cold the place was, especially the long central lobby with a flagstone floor. After settling in, his friend went off to attend lectures at the university, leaving Bill alone, apart from the friendly house cat. He made his way to the kitchen to make a cup of tea, and as he waited for the kettle to boil, he was startled by a voice very close to his ear shouting, Yes! Spinning around, looking round the kitchen to see who had spoken, Bill was astonished to find that there was no one there. Thinking he was the victim of a new boy prank, he carried out a quick and hurried search of the flat and confirmed that he was in the apartment quite alone. He then noticed that the cat was hunched under the sink, hackles raised and claws exposed. Reasoning that the voice must have carried from next door, he said nothing when his flatmates returned. About a week later, on a hot and sunny Saturday afternoon, the same voice was heard again, as if speaking with Dougie along the corridor from the kitchen. Thinking he was talking to his girlfriend, Janet, Dougie wasn't alarmed. Until, that is, Janet walked in through the front door. The kitchen was empty, and as usual, very cold. It was then 
that the flatmates began to share each of their own stories. It appeared that when the others moved in first, in March 1979, they began to experience things that were not quite right. Strange noises had kept them awake at night, including the chilling sound of a baby crying, growing steadily louder and echoing around the basement until stopping suddenly. Sometimes the sounds of heavy, difficult breathing could be heard, seemingly following them around from room to room. Footsteps echoed along the hallway and doors would be heard opening and closing. Their personal possessions would appear and disappear in strange locations around the flat. And before too long, all three men decided to sleep in one bedroom for fear of what may yet happen. In April, one of the men felt a warm, furry animal jump onto the bed where he lay. Thinking it was their house cat, he reached out to stroke it and spoke softly, prompting his flatmates to ask what he was doing. Each of them replied in the dark not to be so daft, as they had the cat on their beds. Leaping out of his bed and turning on the light, all were horrified to find that no one had the cat on their bed. The cat was not in the room at all. The same thing happened to Bill in July 1979. Feeling a heavy, furry object jump onto the bed and curl up behind his head, breathing heavily. Something most cat owners are familiar with. But when he tried to make it move, of course, he found there was nothing there. One week later, the situation seemed to grow worse. One of the men awoke early one morning to find himself paralysed, the bed on which he lay seeming to vibrate rapidly as, again, the invisible furry object leapt upon him. When suddenly this all came to a halt, he was able to scramble out of bed, horrified. Looking out of the window, he saw their house cat, its teeth bared and claws raised, apparently terrified. It wouldn't come back inside its home for several days afterwards. The next day, heavy footsteps echoed along the stone-flagged hallway, and they barricaded themselves into their room with a chair propped up under the handle to keep it closed. The steps echoed again. The door handle seemed to turn. But whoever it was, what Ever it was. It could not get in and seemingly retreated, slamming the kitchen door behind it as it went. Further chilling moments were to follow. Doors opening and closing again by themselves, figures being glimpsed. And so the men decided to hold a seance to find out what was behind the weird occurrences. Yes, a seance. So at 10.30, on the morning of the 25th of July, the men gathered around the heavy old wooden table in the kitchen, 
a numbered alphabet arranged in a circle on pieces of paper around a whisky glass in the centre. And in true movie fashion the question was asked, Is there anybody there? At first, nothing happened. After some moments and further prompting, some limited answers were gained by the group holding firm on the glass, with the stilting answers spelled out, apparently from a French trader named John, who had died after an illness and who was stuck there, unhappy and unable to move on. There were no more details gained that morning. Unsatisfied by such scant information, the group reconvened again later the same week. That next time, close to midnight, more details were gained, but in unexpected ways. This time, the spirit was not from the past, but from their future, the 21st century, and it claimed to be a descendant of Dougie. After one of the men made joking remarks, the glass shot off the table with a crash and the lights went out in the flat. Terrified, the group struggled to leave the kitchen, the door to which remained stubbornly stuck. The men soon began to pack their belongings and move out. But Bill remained, a new flatmate having been found and a period of peace being enjoyed. The peace, however, was not to last. On the 14th of August, Bill returned home after a night out at around 2.30 in the morning and, as he says, sober. As he made his way through the front door and into the dark hallway, a sense of foreboding returned. As he moved his hand to turn on the light, he felt something furry, grab his wrist. As he fled, he turned and saw, quite clearly, two yellow eyes staring at him in the darkness. He remained living in the flat some further days, but after watching a cupboard door unlocking itself and opening, he felt he had had enough and he left never to return. One of the oddest stories of a haunting or presence in Edinburgh, there's little information on the history of this particular building unlike the others in the terrace. Perhaps further research would yield greater results. There seemed to be no further mention of hauntings by residents after 1979. Unlike the better known Mr Swan of Edinburgh's Anne Street, this spectre seems to have kept to themselves for a while now. This story was taken from a report submitted by the eminent explorer and cryptozoologist Bill Gibbons, who was the same lodger in Regent Terrace in 1979. The account was printed in edition 55 of 14 Times, published in 1990. Our thanks to them for the use of this summarised version. Join us again in the future 
for more tales from Weird Scotland. Thanks for listening. That was Gordon Stewart. This episode was written by Gordon Stewart, based on a story by Bill Gibbons. It was produced and radiophonically designed by me, Nick Cole Hamilton. For more weirdness, follow us on Twitter, at Tales Weird. Weird spelled W-Y-R-D. This is a You Better Run Media production. Join us again soon for more Tales from Weird Scotland. <laughs>